Okay, hello everybody and welcome back to the Applied Human Design Podcast. I am your host, Heather, and as always, I'm so happy that you are here spending a little bit of time with me today. So, first things first, if you are listening on Spotify, go ahead now before we go any further and scroll up to the top where you can hit five stars and hit submit. It will take you two seconds and I really, 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 really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, I'll wait for you, right? You can hit pause. You're not going to miss anything. Um, and then once you've done that, you can come back if you're listening on iTunes or some other sort of thing. I know it takes a little bit more work than it does on Spotify, but, you know, if you have find yourself with the next couple of seconds and you want to support me, then you can go ahead and leave a rating and review as well. Um, okay. So now that you've done that, um, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about, it's kind of a part two, but you can also listen to this separately to the first, uh, well, like two episodes ago where I talked about Venus retrograde and how I'm preparing for that. Um, <clears throat> Because today we're also going to be speaking about Venus retrograde, but we're going to be speaking a little bit about, like, I guess the darker side of Venus Aphrodite um, in mythology and then, you know, what that can really represent in astrology, like in, in a chart. Because when we have this retrograde, and again, this is something that I probably did speak about in the previous episode, but in this retrograde period, we are looking within, we are reflecting and reviewing on where we stand with this specific archetype, this specific like fragment of psyche that the planet Venus represents for us in our chart and in the collective, right? Where are we collective? Where are we collectively standing with the archetype of Venus? Um, and a lot of that is going to bring forth or should bring forth, right, in our reflection if we if we use this retrograde to, you know, kind of do what in, its intention is rather than just um, entertaining crappy exes who should really have no no business coming or being allowed back into our life, right? Which can be the other uh, very typical um, experience of Venus retrograde. But we're going to be looking like it's like once you and when you do take a reflective stance into what we've been maybe too afraid or just like not even given ourselves time to sit down and look at within that archetype before we're probably going to see some of the shadow coming to the surface and while I have spoken to I think a lot of the like good or like you know on the surface apparently like really wonderful good things about Venus about Aphrodite um, and this archetype and what it represents there is a shadow there as well you know she is the goddess of love um, and beauty but there's so much else in there um, so that's what we're going to be getting into today so I have two fun announcements before we get started the first is that, oh, actually maybe three, to be honest. Um, so when you're listening to this, which will be Thursday, uh, I will be on my way to England. Um, so I'm taking a little bit of a summer holiday um, because it is boiling and I have no idea how I've been working this last like week it has been. So I'm still in North Macedonia as of the moment. It's currently the Tuesday before um, I'm putting this out. Tuesday, the 18th of July. Yeah. Um, it has been 
just under 40 degrees, so around the 37, 38, 39 mark uh, in Skopje, in, in the city that I'm in. Uh, for the last, I want to say 10 days, there has been no reprieve. It's been warm overnight. And yes, there's air conditioning in my Airbnb, but it's like it's in the living room. And I'm not massive on sleeping on a couch. So anyway, sweating, sweating all the time when I'm sleeping, sweating, just going to get a coffee down the street, um, sweating just by being alive. So uh, I'm very, very excited to take, I will have about, I think it's like, it's probably close to two weeks that I'm taking off um, from everything uh in the end and i'm going to be meeting up with my best friend of over 10 years um pretty much the only friendship that i have that's you know old <laughs> technically um vicky uh she is she is coming to europe for the first time ever very exciting um we are meeting up in london on friday and then we're going to bath in the uk um, to go to Glastonbury and the Avesbury Stone Circle. Um, all going well. We haven't exactly figured out the logistics of how we're going to get there. <laughs> um, and Bristol, which is meant to be a really, really cool city that I've never been to, but a lot of people have said like, oh, since you love Brighton so much, you're probably going to love Bristol even more. So we're going to go there. Bath is also meant to be a really, really beautiful town too. It's where they filmed Bridgerton. Uh, Bridgerton yep. Um, so we love a medieval vibe and we're also going to Belgium. Um, Vicky has selected a specific town that she sent me a message. She's like, can we go to Bruges? I was like, sure. I've never heard of that, but why not? Your wish is my command. Um, so we're going to Belgium, which will be a new country for me. And I'm also, <laughs> um, if you, you know, follow my travel goals, uh, one of my goals, well, my intention my goal is since I couldn't quite make 30 countries by 30 years old I'm trying to do 40 countries by age 31 so I turned 31 October 27 of this year and basically like so I could have flown out of Brussels in Belgium um, to go back to the south of England so I'm going to um, Serbia after going to be living in Serbia for a month or so after my little trip um, and yeah, I could have flown from Belgium directly, but I was like, oh, I could <laughs> catch a bus to the Netherlands, tick off another country, stay for like 24 hours and uh, fly out of the, the Netherlands instead of flying out of Belgium. So that's what I'm doing. Um, and then I'll only have, by the time I get to Serbia, um, I'll only have to do two more countries. So that will be number 38. And then I just have to, uh, so I'm staying there until I think like September 1st. And then I'll have all of September and most of October to go to two other countries to bring it up to 40, um, which hopefully should be easy enough. We'll see what happens. But that is the plan anyway. So that being said, um, going on holidays and ah, yeah, that's that's what I was saying. So this episode obviously is coming out um, today because you're listening to it. And then I think next Thursday, I was going to just like take a break week, but I've messaged Vicky and she said she's down to like do something together and it'll just be a really silly episode. Like it will still basically be a break week. Like I won't be talking about anything serious, um, but we might just like have a chat and record it, maybe play some silly games, play some silly astrology guessing games. I don't know exactly what it is, but 
have a few a few thoughts um, about things that we could do. Um, and then the week after, um, I will be will be about the time when I'm like landing in Belgrade, Belgrade uh, in Serbia. So that episode might be like I don't know, like a couple of days late, but it'll be there. So I'm doing really well. I'm not going to miss anything despite having some time off. Um, so yes, it's hot. Um, I am talking about that. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) We were doing announcements. All right. So when I get back from my trip, um, starting basically like the day after I get back, like the day that I land back in some sort of an office, um, in Belgrade, uh, I will be starting teaching an intensive level two for the applied human design, um, practitioner training. So I've been teaching level one over the last two months. Um, but you can join just level two. So this is an intensive, like I said, it's six weeks, six classes, um, you know, one and a half to two hours at a time. And basically what it is, is you'll get human design foundations. So you'll get everything on the types, authorities, profiles, etc. And then in the live classes, we're going to go through, um, well, six topics and using and applying human design information to improve your situation in these topics, your client situation, understand these situations, these areas of life from a human design perspective. So it's going to include like relationships, career and life purpose, um, money, wealth, regenerative wealth, uh life transitional periods so we'll do a full class on Saturn return Chiron return Uranus opposition all of that um, because that is really really important to know um and breaking out of stagnancy and more um I can't remember everything that I have planned and you know as always (laughs) I'm sure that I will add things and take things away from the curriculum as we go depending on what I feel is the most important um but you can join just level two. Um, You don't need to have done level one. Uh, So you can, I'll put, I'll put all the links in the show notes and stuff as always. You can check that out if you're interested. And if you are a previous human design student of mine, um, you get 50% off. So just because there will be some overlap, not a lot, there's like a lot different. Um, And also just in how I talk about the information, but obviously there will be some overlap. So you do get 50% off. Um, so that's starting early August. So if you're interested, this is probably the only time I'll talk about it on the podcast. If you want to be reminded closer to the date, then make sure you're watching my Instagram stories. That's the best place or, um, on my email list as well. I'm getting, trying to get better at regularly putting out emails, but I project I'm inconsistent. So Instagram stories is the easiest for me to be like, Hey, by the way, this is the last day for this. Okay. So there's that. Um, and secondly, the relentless alignment membership, um, like I mentioned last week is now open. So if you are like, if you enjoy this podcast essentially, um, and you were wanting like more actually applicable information and just like deeper dives into some of these topics, um, you can join the relentless alignment membership. There is already over 20, like well over 20 hours worth of masterclasses healings human design trainings um like just little bits and bobs essentially uh that are in there and this is not like memberships where it's just teachers who just put in like scraps and scare eggs this is my favorite right this is like every masterclass that i've taught over the last 
to one and a half years all put into one membership that you can get access to uh, straight away. Um, okay, so um, that's there. And, you know, there's there's new masterclasses happening every month as well. Um, so that is open. Um, and again, that will be in the show notes. Um, okay, so let me see if there's anything else I want to talk about before we get started. I don't think so. Let's get into Venus. Let's get into Venus retrograde. So um, I've spoken a little bit already today about what this retrograde really represents. Uh, in its most, how do we put this? Like, if you want to be working with this energy for just as a really like beautiful, almost like offering to the goddess of love and beauty, then spending this time, the 40 days and 40 nights of Venus retrograde in reflection, in reverence to your own relationship with love, right? All kinds of love self-love, love of partner, love of your friends, love of the world, love of the earth, love of God, right? Everything that we are in relation to um, and beauty, right? Just admiring beauty in yourself, seeing beauty in yourself, seeing beauty in others, seeing beauty in pain, right? The exquisite beauty of, of feeling emotion and all of that. Uh, that that's, this is the time to do it, right? Just checking in with your relation to everything and so this is something that I always like to highlight whenever we speak about Venus um, the planet is that this planet really represents our exchange our relation to the other and this is you know often obviously often sorry obviously often connected to like our partnership um, which is massive but we are in relation, we are exchanging energy with everything, right? You exchange energy with the food you eat. You exchange energy with yourself. You exchange energy with the barista who makes your coffee in the morning. You exchange energy with um, the people that you pass by on the street and you smile at, right? Everything is an exchange of energy. You are exchanging energy with money, right? Your connection to money. You're exchanging energy with your connection to your work, your career, and whether it fulfills you or not. Um, You are exchanging energy with people you get along with and people you don't. All of these things. And we're exchanging energy with nature too, right? That's a big one, right? When you look out the window and you're admiring a tree and you're reflecting on that tree and all it's been through and all that it's weathered right and how it's still standing and how it loses its leaves and then they grow back and all of that right that's an exchange of energy that is you being in relation to nature to a specific tree you are forming a relationship with that tree and via exchanging energy and forming relationship we are led deeper into ourselves we learn about ourselves as humans we learn about ourselves by like connecting with being with exchanging energy with the other the world around us and the ways and almost like it's like the quality of our exchanges tell us so much and therefore the quality of our relationships right tell us so much about the quality of our relationship with ourselves you know our connection to everything else tells us so much about our connection to ourselves if you want to know where you're at in you know how you how worthy you feel you are or how deeply how deeply you love protect serve and nourish yourself look at the quality of your current relationships look like take a good hard look 
at how other people and other things are interacting with you um, because what you accept and what you don't and what you allow into your world and what you don't is going to tell you everything you need to know essentially about how you treat yourself, how you love yourself and how you don't. Um, and this is all Venus retrograde, right? This is all very, very Venus retrograde. Um, and again, if you can just take this 40 days and 40 nights to reflect on that and redefine that and rearrange that to be something that like, so that you and what you do accept and what you don't accept and what you do give and what you do receive and what you allow yourself to receive and what you allow yourself to give, um, in relation, in connection, then you can get to the end of this and have a complete overhaul, right? So it's like, yeah, retrogrades can be scary because when we take this reflective time, we might realize that we have outgrown some connections, that we have been accepting like really, really horrible behavior or that we have not been putting ourselves first for a very, very long time. You know, that's a huge part of of Venus um, is is actually like valuing your own pleasure, your own enjoyment, your own um, your own self as as someone worthy of receiving just because you exist, right? So it can be scary, right? And this is why, and this is why people avoid this kind of work. This is the very reason. It's not like yes, it is because we're scared of like shadow work and what we might find out about ourselves, but we're also really, really terrified of what we might lose. Um, what we might lose when we start to dig below the surface and decide to stop accepting just what's given to us willy-nilly, right? Okay, so let's start to talk about some of the shadows um, that it will hopefully just give you a bit of a jumping off point for how to explore some of the shadows of Venus for yourself um, and in your own life. And because I am... A woman I'm going to be speaking about this mostly from a feminine perspective um, someone who was raised as a woman and I also as I've said before um, because I work mostly with the Greek pantheon I'm not very familiar with Venus in her Roman form um, when it comes to speaking of mythology I will be speaking of Aphrodite um, okay so the first little keynote uh, when we talk about the shadow side of Aphrodite is we have to talk about the dark side of beauty and there are many different ways to think of this and people have spoken before of that beauty makes you vain and that you know there's nothing below the surface but I want to offer a different perspective and hopefully this will be an interesting perspective because I am someone who was essentially for my entire like childhood and teenage years viewed as very plain, cold, ugly, you know, not um, not seen as what our culture perceives to be beautiful. And then all of a sudden, and I think I've spoken about this before, uh, had like a blooming um, in the eyes of society and suddenly was objectified everywhere that I went. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully this will be a different kind of perspective on this. So <clears throat> when, and this is, this is that like shadow of being the embodiment or representing something of Aphrodite. So each of us holds the codes for Aphrodite inside of us, right? And this is something I'll talk about later is that like all of us 
have beauty. It's it's something that is just inherent in our form, in our shape, in our heart, in our soul. Um, beauty as a as a quality is something that radiates out of you. You know, the goddess touches you um, and it it almost doesn't matter like what that surface looks like it is what radiates out of you right it is something that is available to all of us that we all can be the embodiment of except um there is that darker side of aphrodite which is that more just like surface level beauty what i want to say and that is that like when you do meet what people um specifically like the patriarchy or like men will project onto people as their ideal of beauty you lose like from their perspective at least you lose access to your heart you lose access to your soul you lose access to your personality you lose access to being the fully rounded um wild deep dark feminine um being that you are and you are almost forced to by the culture um be just what that you know male gaze wants you to be uh and this is this is something that i think i've spoken about that i've been exploring through my own 21 days of venus retrograde ritual is looking back on all of my past relationships specifically with men and noticing that there was none uh, because right because from about the age of 18 19 I did suit this sort of man's idea of like what the perfect woman is right um, in order to receive that love um, I learned to or like I was almost like entrained through a series of relationships with men to swallow down anything that didn't match the ideal woman perspective right so this is a huge scar of the daughters of aphrodite of the um the women who do work with this archetype or feel connected to this archetype right it is it's that it is shallow um but we are not shallow because there's not okay and this this is the way i want to word it right is that like what is view like women who are viewed as shallow and so this could also be seen as like in like a lot of celebrities and stuff like that it's like they're not shallow because they truly want to be it's like they're shallow because all they've ever been allowed to be like receive praise for is their beauty so um you you know through this process of throughout my 20s um especially early 20s being with men but also like in my later 20s as well you know being with men who viewed me as their ideal of beauty anytime i went to show a personality or something that they didn't like or something that didn't match their idea or their ideal of the perfect woman it was almost like love love was removed right or it was just like that's not you um, where is this coming from? Why are you doing that, right? So my long-term ex used to say, literally, right, like, you are my reward. You are my reward for being bullied um, in school. And 
maybe that sounds cute to some people, but it was, it's objectifying, right? It is literally objectifying the person in front of you. It's not saying like, you know, I adore you and I'm so happy that you are in my life. It is like, whoa, like I had a really rough life and I'm like the hero that's been on my quest and my journey and I've been through my trials and tribulations and my reward is the princess, right? The the beautiful maiden um, is my reward. And then whenever the maiden almost like went away, right? So whenever I went away from what that reward is meant to look like and, and being docile and whatever it is, then it's like, oh, well, you know, this is not fitting in with my story. This is not fitting in with my, my hero story. Okay, so this is definitely a big part of exploring um, the shadow of Aphrodite and the shadow of being a woman because we are all objectified, right? Often from a very, very young age, there is damage done. Um, <clears throat> there is damage done because it's like our innocence is often taken from us as well. And you literally do become like there existing as an object of beauty and this can be done in a really really powerful empowering liberating way uh this is one of the things that i'm also working with aphrodite in in our like ritual and work together is embracing and allowing beauty for my own sake right to not feel like <sighs> it's difficult because there is like a really rough um a kind of like rough what's the word like there's a fine line not a rough line there's a fine line um to walk but it's like okay you can do your hair you can do your makeup you can dress nicely because you want to be beautiful because you love that because you admire that that's a huge part of aphrodite and then you can do that and still have a deep personality you get to have your own likes your own dislikes you get to you get to be more than just a pretty face and it really is about allowing yourself to be admired for your beauty yes absolutely and to enjoy and receive that right like getting comfortable with people complimenting me on that but also um trusting and allowing myself that what I have to offer the world and what Aphrodite, right, the daughters of Aphrodite have to the world, have to offer the world is so much beyond what's on the surface. And so hopefully this has given um, a kind of like fresh look at this uh, sort of thing because it is something, so I've spoken about before, <laughs> I'm going to bring it up again. Um, I've spoken about before the Percy Jackson series and, you know, if you haven't read it, this is like, technically it's like a child series or like a young adult series. And it is, um, it's reflective of a lot of the Greek myths and, you know, Percy is sort of based on Perseus um, and he's like a demigod, right? But he goes to this school camp called Camp Half-Blood. Half uh, where there are demigod children of all of the Greek gods. And the daughters of Aphrodite are really represented as quite vain, right? And they're always looking in the mirror and they're always like in makeup and all these things. And it's really, and yeah, I understand these books were written about like 10, 15 years ago. 
um, and it's really, really displayed as a bad thing. Um, but, and people would have probably, and you know, probably definitely did call me vain in my early twenties, but when the only avenue you have to compliments and therefore what you perceive as love is through your appearance, of course you value and you play up your appearance. And so it's not about like calling, um, or thinking that it's like, a terrible thing to enjoy the way you look to look at yourself in the mirror to take pride in your appearance right but instead to get in the habit of complimenting women for their beauty but then also uh, their brain their minds their funniness um, the things they do right and allowing them to be seen for more than that uh yeah it's something that really really i guess like frustrates me about the percy jackson series i do really really like that series but just the way that the daughters of aphrodite are represented and of course like and it's something that i'm so glad is changing finally in our world is that there's like something horrible about girls who wear makeup to the gym or want to look good or like get dressed up it's like that is the empowering side of Aphrodite right and it's like that difference between doing it for you um and doing it to impress like the male gaze right are you doing it for yourself are you dressing up because it feels super nourishing and it feels super incredible to like walk down to the grocery store with all eyes on you um because you're wearing heels and you have your makeup done and you know your hair curled and all of that or um are you doing that doing it to just receive compliments for your looks because that's what you've you've become accustomed to right and this is something that people put on celebrities as well but what do you expect right like celebrity women um have especially fallen prey to aphrodite like this dark side of aphrodite it's like when you're in the public eye you are you are basically judged on the way that you look um you know i'm thinking back to the you know 2000s um when magazines would be like oh my god this female celebrity caught without makeup like it's the worst thing ever right um and you know now we wonder why um there's such a prevalence to women wanting to get work done um and that fear of getting older right that's a huge shadow of the aphrodite uh archetype right we wonder why why because you've projected upon women that all they have to give is their looks that it is their responsibility to remain youthful and to look good wherever they go and then they put in the effort to do that you know then they take pride in their appearance then they um you know then you know we dress up or or we just put an effort into our beauty and you're like this person is so vain right it's like you literally can't win and so working through this particular shadow of Aphrodite is probably going to involve like also looking at where you judge other women who maybe do take who maybe like put different levels of or take different levels of pride in their appearance um who like to present themselves in a specific way like is there some sort of unconscious judgment there because that is that is um it's it's misogyny right it absolutely is it's internalized misogyny of uh 
it is it's like objectifying women it like we we all do it we all have it and again if you were raised on these early 2000s fashion magazines uh then there's that right and yeah hopefully again like i just want to say it from this perspective from someone who has been objectified deeply um and almost felt that I had to then hide that part of myself because I didn't I wanted to be accepted and seen and loved for more than my face and now I'm coming that full circle where it's like you know what there's nothing wrong and with me taking pride in that appearance and also believing that I can be loved for more of that more than that um by men and by women okay so let's talk briefly about the fear of growing older I've touched about it um a little bit but I want to highlight it right okay so <clears throat> this is another one of those shadows of Aphrodite right um, and the daughters of Aphrodite the sisters of Aphrodite right just like women <laughs> uh, the fear of growing older this this concept that we lose beauty as we get older I don't know to me this is really weird and like the older I do get the more strange this is to me because personally I when I look at a 19, 20, 21 year old girl, I mean, I see you're beautiful, but I also see naivety, right? I don't see the same sort of radiance and beauty that I'll get, I'll see from looking through someone who is, you know, in their thirties, in their forties, even in their fifties and sixties, right? Who is radiating like a confidence and inner knowing, um, and is deeply, deeply connected to the light of Aphrodite, which I'll talk to in a second. It's very different, right? And this, again, I think is the difference between a... It's like societal beauty ideals when framed from a male perspective, from a male gaze, versus like a feminine gaze. Um, it's not that I do not find women in their early 20s beautiful. I do but it is not the same level of beauty and radiance that comes through when there is like a confident, empowered, liberated uh, woman, again, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. And this is because, right? Okay, so we have this fear of growing older, right? That we can somehow lose what we have been told is our greatest asset, that all a woman has to give is her youth and beauty. And so as we grow older, we do everything we can to avoid letting that go, right? Avoid losing that again, because it's like, well, this is all I can get complimented for. So I got to hold on to it for as long as possible. Um, But once you integrate the true power and beauty of Aphrodite, right? And the true, by the true power and beauty of Aphrodite, what I mean is it's like, she's like, her power is in putting desire first leading from desire putting yourself first something that women have been entrained not to do we are entrained to be selfless creatures to give and give and give until we have absolutely nothing left to give and this is the difference between when you are looking at when you're looking at a woman who's like maybe in her 30s for example and she has been um she's been trained her entire life to give to everyone else she's exhausted she's burnt out she can't remember the last time she did something that she enjoys just for herself right and even when she did it's like interrupted by 
children, friends, partner, people wanting from her and she gives and gives and gives, right? And if you compare that to maybe a woman in her 50s who has, you know, come to value herself and her desires and her needs and her sacred space, right? She values and protects her space, her time alone. Um, she she like let's say she gets a lot of power and liberation and like love from digging in the garden and she devotes a good portion of her time to doing that no matter what other people want from her or need from her because she knows that enriches her soul and that is what makes her beautiful there's going to be it's like it's like it's nothing to do with youth, right? It's like that 50-year-old woman who's devoted to herself is going to glow with a youthfulness that the drained, exhausted, burnt-out 30-year-old who has not deconditioned from that, you know, again, just like culture's, society's idea that women exist only to give and give and give, right? It is um, <clears throat> different, right? So that true power and beauty of um, Aphrodite, putting your desires first, leading from desire, protecting your time, protecting your energy, protecting your sacred space, being inside the body, adorning the body as a temple, right? Whether adorning the body to you does mean like makeup, whether it does mean like beautiful, like crystal jewelry, whether it does mean like painting a half moon on your forehead, um, whether it does mean like tattoos that make you feel beautiful, um, whether it's how you dress, right? How you show up. Uh, and the thing is, the thing is with like adorning your temple, it's like adorning your temple might be dressing for comfort, right? Dressing in sweats and like clothes that make you, it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It's the energy that you're putting into it. That is the thing. Um, your beauty, when you come at life from this perspective, it cannot be taken from you. It cannot disappear with age. In fact, it will enliven, it will ripen with age because you are putting more and more time into devoting yourself to the goddess that is within. This is what Aphrodite at her heart wants us to do. She is saying, like, if you want to be a daughter of Aphrodite, you have to see that you are the goddess you are a human embodiment of love and beauty and so how are you going to treat yourself how are you going to adorn yourself how are you going to spend your time how are you going to give your heart and your love to the world and to yourself right <clears throat> that kind of beauty is immortal like the goddess okay um it is the gift that you give to the world it is pure presence of the goddess, like it is pure heart of the goddess being in a physical body. Okay, <clears throat> so the next shadow of Aphrodite that we want to talk about um, is jealousy. <laughs> this is a massive one, right? That, that particular goddess, God bless her, uh, she does have a jealous streak. Um, you know, we all we need to look at is the mythology of the Trojan War, and ugh, the Trojan War. Trojan War, it can sort of get like glossed over, um, or at least even just like lost in the retelling. 
that it was Aphrodite that started the entire thing. <laughs> you know, um, she, like, if you don't know the mythology, it doesn't matter too much. Um, but essentially the mastermind at like who kickstarted the Trojan War, which was essentially like kings warring because someone's wife was stolen, kidnapped, or maybe like went by because she wanted to, right? Um, it was a 10 year war. It killed countless, countless people. Uh, and you, you know, Helen or the face that launched thousands ships is sort of the scapegoat for this but it was Aphrodite who was like basically offended because there was this guy who was like mm, I don't know who's the most beautiful woman in the world and Aphrodite was like how dare you not tell me um how dare you not like tell me that I'm the most beautiful in the first place right and <clears throat> so she's like well I'm jealous I'm jealous and I'm upset that this this person doesn't think I'm the most beautiful, so she manipulated the entire world uh, into going into war uh, for her. Well, not the entire world, but um, a good a good portion of <laughs> of the world, right? And so the thing with jealousy in the collective, like feminine shadow, uh, the collective shadow of women, it's it's a shadow that we deny, right? It really is, especially in like a lot of like modern feminism it's like yeah support your sisters and build each other up but it's like do you really <laughs> do you really not take some sort of like sick uh pleasure in watching other women fail or um and you know again maybe i'm the only one right maybe every woman is truly the angels that they say they are but this moment of Venus retrograde gives us time to admit, even just to ourselves, that we are not the perfect feminist, right? That there is still fragments of the green-eyed monster, right? The alchemical green-eyed monster residing within us. Um, and this is because we think that our beauty, right? All the things that Aphrodite represents, all the things that Venus represents, beauty, pleasure, love, and our lovers um and our like sense of value as a woman we feel like they are something that we need to defend protect and that we think we can have taken from us which as we've spoken to already is not true when you are connected to the true uh expression of aphrodite and you are leading from heart you're leading from desire all of those things are something that cannot be taken from you your love cannot be taken from you your beauty cannot be taken from you your pleasure cannot be taken from you and so part of the collective healing of, of women really has to include embracing the shadow of jealousy right looking at who in our life um whether they're people who are in our everyday life or people that we see on the internet um celebrities influencers even just like coaches, mentors, whatever that you admire um, and saying like, do you know what? I want what she has. I'm jealous of what she has. I'm jealous of what she's done. I'm jealous of her beauty. I'm jealous of her love. I'm jealous of her enjoyment, her pleasure, right? Whatever it is that we wish we had that, you know, the, the she, the she that we're looking at has or what it looks like she has, right? So instead of despising her for it and bringing her down for it, looking at jealousy as that alchemical tool and saying, do you know what? The fact that I can see it in her 
and the fact that I can see that she knows she's deserving of it, right? And she is receiving that. It's just a sign that I'm deserving of having that. I'm just as powerful. I'm just as magnetic. I'm just as wonderful as she is. Her light is a reflection of my own light. This is what we need to realize. And until we, as women, can take this really, really hard, like just get comfortable with it, right? It's like with any shadow work, it's like, it's not that scary when you just look at it, right? And you don't have to tell anyone. You don't have to admit to anyone that you're jealous of someone, right? Or that you think that this person having this thing means that you can't have it. Okay, it's normal. It's human. It is human nature to rank ourselves competitively and to say like, mm, well, they have that, but that's because they're deserving and I'm not da 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 da, right? It's human. Okay, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Okay. Um, and that is the major like lesson with jealousy integration when it comes to Aphrodite shadow work essentially is that again it's we are turning the we're turning that seeking okay because here is the thing all right if we boil it down the desire for love for beauty for pleasure is not a bad thing it is not inherently a bad thing it is the way you go about it and it is the it's the place from within from which it comes from that makes it either a beautiful thing or a destructive thing so when that seeking that desire for love beauty pleasure is coming from within because you think you lack something and you need something outside of you to fill the hole right, to fill the gaps, then um, it's going to manifest in more of these destructive ways. Like if you're looking around and you're like, I'm so gross. If only I had um, a really hot boyfriend, uh, then everything would be fine, right? Then people would think I had worth, then I would look good, right? It's like, okay, that's destructive. <laughs> and who knows what you'll you'll like do to get that and who knows what you'll accept in getting that right but if it's coming from a place of like damn i am a queen i am a goddess i am the walking embodiment of aphrodite right i am her in human form and i deserve my super hot boyfriend then it's like okay yeah you do um get it get it girl right and it's gonna come from a place of self-love and when things come from a place of self-love, then they automatically will serve the collective. <clears throat> Let me check my notes. Um, <sighs> do we want to talk about... No, I think, I think we've covered enough. I think I've given you quite a lot to work with. I was going to talk a little bit about Eros um, and like the being the entangled son of Aphrodite. Maybe I'll just like touch on it really, really briefly. Um, in case this is something that someone in particular, uh, someone listening feels like they need to work into their um, Venus retrograde reflections. Uh, but Eros is the being, of course, like, so it's um, Cupid in Roman form, but that like god of like really, really strong desire in love. Uh, the one with the arrows who goes around like with enchanted arrows and it's like when you get struck by um, Eros or Cupid's bow, well, arrow, uh, then you fall in love. Um, and it's like the 
sweet bitter torture of being in love right it's like everybody wants to be struck by the arrow but it's also horrible <laughs> because your your life your brain your mind is no longer your own it's like these arrows can and do and have driven people mad uh, again the um trojan war although that is probably like yes i'm sure love like played a different definite role there but there was also just like a bit of um male pride and ego that that definitely played a role in the trojan war as well but um anyway so eros from from the aphrodite mythology is the son of aphrodite one of the children of aphrodite her constant companion right um and in this mythology so we definitely see like the entangled son um in this uh this mythology, we get that imagery of the woman, the mother, who cannot let her son love someone else, um, who cannot let her son, like, leave her uh, to fall in love with another woman, again, because there is jealousy at the root there. Um, there is almost, like, dependence upon the son to almost be, like, a kind of, like, quasi, like, husband or... Um, give something to the mother that either the like the mother's lover or the mother's husband um, cannot give her or that the mother cannot give herself, right? So if the mother doesn't have that inner connection to her own desires and, you know, I'm worthy just because I am, then she might look outside of her. And sometimes that is all placed in like just the son because he represents... Um, a man who has to love her no matter what essentially and do things for her so there are some really really extreme examples of this in the collective where there is just like this this odd this odd like sort of notion of like overprotective mothers with their sons and just thinking that like no woman is ever good enough and all these things and not letting not letting the son grow up and move on with another woman and it's not that these like you know desired mates for the son are actually not good for him it's just the mother would not accept anyone as good enough uh, because she wants to keep him for herself and so we see this in the uh, mythology of Eros and Psyche um so Psyche is a mortal princess she is um said to be or like almost worshipped as even more beautiful than Aphrodite so Aphrodite's like where the hell what's going on like where are my offerings um turns out all the mortal men are busy worshipping Psyche and this is difficult for Psyche as well because she as that um almost like human mortal embodiment of Aphrodite is realizing that like all of these men all of these mortal men they are willing to admire me and to worship me but none of them are willing to love me right to see beyond the surface right which goes back to that um aphrodite wound of shallowness that we spoke about at the top it's like the shallowness is not the fault of the woman it is the fault of the culture that made her that way um anyway so in this mythology essentially like psyche and eros fall in love there's a lot more to it and aphrodite is like uh what the hell like you're meant to love me eros and now you are in love with my enemy my sworn enemy um and she makes psyche like prove her love through a series of impossible tasks including going to the underworld right so we sort of view this maybe we should tell the story of psyche another time um from an 
like from this perspective because it's it's a fascinating like adventure um of of shadow work right because one of the tasks for psyche is to actually go into the underworld um and ask persephone for a drop of her beauty to bring back to aphrodite and she does it right she's able to go into the underworld go into that shadow and receive the beauty the drips of beauty that are available um when we integrate the shadow and then bring it back up anyway um So, um, in this particular mythology, right, where we see the mother that refuses to let go of the the son uh, to a woman who is perceived as her enemy, yeah, we see something very, very interesting where it's like, A, it's like that mother's inability to let go. It's also um, that deeply jealous streak, again, that can reside within women of... Her having what I had means that I now have less or am worthy of less. Um, letting go, letting go of things that we think are ours, but can never truly, like we can never truly own. Like you can never truly own your child. You can never truly own your, even your partner, right? You you can't like have true ownership over them and them going out into the world and falling in love with something that is not you doesn't mean that you are any less deserving or worthy of love right it just means that their love is growing and spreading um yeah okay so that is the the other tiny little like mention of the one of the other shadows of aphrodite which is that like almost like controlling a mother archetype which you know it's interesting we see this from a mother's and daughter's perspective in the Demeter Persephone mythology right you see like Demeter not wanting Persephone to uh, be taken from her um, but Persephone has to go she has to go into the underworld she has to grow up she has to become a woman Um, and then in the Aphrodite mythology we have the mothers and sons side of this and the mother's hesitation to let the son go forth grow up um, and do that by serving another woman, right? Someone as a wife rather than remaining in total reverence and devotion to the mother solely. So um, if you feel like you have any of these that you need to look through, reflect on, Venus Retrograde is a great time to do that. And I'm going to leave it there. Um, I will hope you guys are having a beautiful day. Um, and have a beautiful rest of the day. I'm going to go make some lunch, I think, and then get into the last little bits of work that I have to do before I go away. Uh, But sending you all the love, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.